Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. On political corruption, we are going to restore honor to our government. In my administration, I'm going to enforce all laws concerning the protection of classified information. No one will be above the law. So, Murphy, there you have it. He was uh, that was candidate Donald Trump uh, uh, declaring that he would protect classified information. And we didn't know that the strategy was to declassify everything and then take it and put it in your basement. Yeah. No, I've got a bunch of it right here. It turns out none of our nukes work. (laughs) You know, it was another solemn pledge from the president and uh, that he'd take care of this stuff. And he was so concerned, he thought the rec room next to the canned peaches storage area at Mar-a-Lago <laughs> was the right place to hold the most critical intelligence stuff in, in the world. Uh, things so secure that you have to be in a special, highly guarded government facility to even read them. But who needs that when you've got the Mar-a-Lago basement? Uh, pretty amazing. And, you know, we decided to go with the pro today. We're, we're going we're gonna to delve into all this with Donald Trump's favorite journalist, an old, old friend of mine and yours. I remember going back to the tabloid days in New York City. Uh, the one and only Maggie Haberman is here. Maggie, we should uh, get you off the hook right away because you're not Donald Trump's favorite. Uh, no, thank you for that. Just, he was no, being that facetious. Was facetious. But- I know, but sometimes we we don't have closed captioning here, so. Yeah, thank Ah. you. Yes, but, uh, and you're not for a reason, because you have uh, disclosed a lot about him, and you know more about him. You've covered him for many, many years. You know more about him than most. You've got this great book coming, Confidence Man. At the end of this conversation, Maggie's promised to tell us the top three things that she (laughs) hasn't yet revealed that it will be part of this book. So please keep listening. But Maggie, what's going on? What was Donald Trump up to? He obviously snatched a whole bunch of confidential documents, uh, top secret documents, super top secret documents. Why? So the why with him, David, and first of all, thanks to both of you for having me, two people who I have, have known for feels like ever. <laughs> yes. Now that, now that we've established that we're all and I can yeah. I can stop throat clearing. Look, <laughs> with Donald Trump, it's uh, it's usually one of a, a very small number of things. One is that he thinks something is cool and he wants to hang on to it. He was famous for giving tours of tchotchkes in his office, including like a giant <laughs> shoe from Shaquille O'Neal, which is <laughs> the first thing I thought of when in 2017. I think he actually stashed the nuclear secrets in that. Right. Shoe, so I was, well, it was should. big enough. This is, by the way, just interject. This is how I know there are no aliens at Roswell, because if there were, Trump would have a claw in his desk. Yeah, this came from a flying saucer guy. Only one in the world, worth millions. Uh, all right, Maggie, go ahead. In either April or May of 2017, I can't remember which month it was uh, at the moment, but when he met with Lavrov, um, uh, a, a a Russian uh, government official in the yeah. Oval Office, and he was talking yeah. about Iron Comey, and he also blurted out some sensitive intelligence during this um what came to mind was the shaquille o'neal shoe um so that's that's one bucket another bucket is that he sees some something personally advantageous either because it's something that he can 
uh, use to bolster himself, or it's something that, um, you know, he believes will help him in his business or personal brand. And, and that is, I think, the bucket, frankly, that um, a lot of people are concerned we are talking about here because there's, you know, there's not just the possibility that a foreign adversary could accidentally see these things. There's also the possibility that Trump could have been, and I'm, I'm not saying this is the case for those listening. We don't know. There's a lot we don't know, but among the concerns are Trump has business ties overseas. In fact, we never really knew the full extent of Trump's business ties overseas because Trump did not uh, really uh, recuse himself from his business or divest. And so there was this sort of melding of the presidency with the man. And I think there's a concern that whatever he had could be of use to him. And, and then there's another another possibility, uh, David and Mike, that um, of, of what some of the material could be. We know it certainly isn't all of it because there's something that refers to, you know, info on the president of france right yeah i saw that i thought that was right up trump's alley pictures well you know. so i have a i have a thought on that that i'll get into in a second but um but it also could be that some of this material somehow relates to the investigation into whether his campaign was conspiring with russia because mm. his folks were sort of singularly focused on that in their final days um i shouldn't say singularly but they were heavily focused on it in the final days in office. Um, and as we know, that remained a focus of his afterward. He's continued trying to get information from Nora related to the investigation. So those to me are the are the are the the main um items. I think it's possible that the that the FBI um I don't want to say overtook, but they cast a wide net and then there will be things that will be returned. I was particularly struck that one of the things they took was a binder of photos. Uh, he was known for trying to acquire sets of the photo the, the, of the of the actual photos that were taken of him, the the official government ones or official office ones. He just wanted them for himself for some reason. Now there were always there were always official records, but he just wanted some mm -hmm. private stash. So there's a chance that some of this stuff is going to go back. But clearly, the top secret and top secret SCI marked and confidential marked probably are not among them. Yeah. We should point out Nara. Nara is not an old girlfriend in New York. Nara is the National Archives. Okay? Thanks, Dave. So for Sounds those good. who aren't following along, uh, I'll lay money down. There are two Naras. There's a cocktail waitress in New York, and there's an <laughs> archive office with Trump. <laughs> All right. But moving on, the thing that puzzles me, because I have kind of the same theory about the tchotchkes and boy, it would be nice to have a file I could wave around to get out of some Russian dead or stuff. But the nuclear stuff, that's highly specialized. It's above Trump's kind of IQ level. Uh, that, unless it's intelligence on foreign nuclear stuff, there's always the North Korean angle with Trump and his crush on, you know, the dictator there. I I don't know. The nuclear stuff seems, one, the part of it politically that breaks through a bit rather than, oh, we stole the stapler that we give him to him by the Queen of Zambia. But why would he care about that? You always use staplers in these analogies. I just realized that. I've heard you use staple <laughs> analogies a lot. It's, it's um, a good word. You know, it's a good word. Look, obviously, the word nuclear, um, the Washington Post reported on that last week, got a lot of attention. Uh, it's always going to get a lot of attention. Uh, I would point to, and, and if it is anything that relates to nuclear capabilities, either the U.S.'s or another country's, that is clearly very sensitive. Pretty valuable. That know? is right. That is going to be a different a different class, and that would probably fall into the bucket that I was talking about about something people are fearful he could use in some way, right? So, yeah. but I would also just like to say, 
we still don't know. The word nuclear came out and we really don't know more beyond that. What what we have reported is that at points while they were trying to recoup these documents over the last 18 months, there was believed to be what's known as special access program material in there. And a special access yeah. program is a, is a, it's not a classification, but it's a programmatic designation that limits how many people can see material. And where? And it's specific to the Defense Department. That's the other piece. Yeah, 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 yeah. So just to the extent that there's a breadcrumb there. But Mike, yes, I mean, you know, people hear the word nuclear and it, it jolts this from sort of the, the let Trump be Trump variety that I think we have all heard over and over again about behavior uh, and turns it into something else. Yeah, the, the, from the beginning, even before this, the phrase Trump and nuclear codes has always created a certain uneasiness. And I don't know, it's just that that I think has has life in it. Again, we don't know what most of this stuff is. My hope is that we will. There have been efforts to unseal the affidavit, which is the underlying document explaining why the search was necessary. Yeah, I want to ask about that. I don't want to get ahead. Do you want me to start? No, no, that's in the paper today. We should talk about it. Okay. The thing I want to ask you about was this is a tactic, obviously. I think Merrick Garland kind of stunned the Trump group by saying, yeah, let's let's open this thing up. They opened it up. It was damaging. It was titillating and so on. Now they've come back and said, we want to see that underlying affidavit. The thing that you gave the judge, the evidence that you gave the judge that caused the judge to say, yeah, you better go in and get this stuff. And it would reveal a lot of the case that they're working on here. Republicans now, I saw Tim Scott who wants to run for president on TVs this morning, demanding the affidavit and so on. This seems to be the new tactic for those who want to impugn the investigation or raise doubts about the investigation. Yeah, I mean, I think you're definitely right that there was a shifting of the goalposts, right? It's, it began with, um, you know, uh, unseal the warrant and, and Trump didn't go to court himself to do that. Uh, allies of his at Judicial Watch did that. I should also note the New York Times also. Right. And a lot of organizations. Right? A lot of organizations said, and there's a huge public interest in it. So there's a real argument. But yes, when, when, when Merrick Garland said they weren't going to oppose that, you know, number one, the warrant became public and it became clear why Trump had not released this document on his own that he had had in his possession for a week or for four days, I guess, and kept saying the judge should do this, DOJ should do this because it was just, you know, it's not, it's, it's objectively not a great fact set for him. It, it, it yeah. warrant includes the criminal statutes uh, that formed the basis of the probable cause for the warrant. Right. And one of them is potential violation of the Espionage Act, which is not espionage itself. I should just be clear about that. But it is a pretty broad statute about mishandling of documents. One was obstruction. And it be, n none of these are, are just, quote unquote, good for him. So that's, you know, it became clear when they were not putting the warrant out that it was it was because it was not, you know, sort of the strict nothing they were saying. So now it has become about the underlying affidavit, which is much harder to get. And the DOJ's argument in response, and this was very interesting, David, the DOJ's argument in response was, you know, that it would, it would, they don't want to unseal it. There were a bunch of different reasons why, but one of which was that it could be harmful to other ongoing investigations. And that line mm -hmm. really jumped out. Now, we don't know what other ongoing investigations they're talking about, but it could be any number of things. It could be January 6th investigations. Um, it could be, who knows? There, there, there are things that we don't have full visibility into. It's pretty obvious. People around Trump had privately told me that they had all thought that this investigation into the documents had gone pretty quiet. We reported at the Times that there was a grand jury several months ago and there was a flurry of activity around it and then they hadn't heard anything. So they thought it was all basically over. 
and mm. that's obviously not the case. But on the affidavit, it seems like that's something that the Justice Department has to fight to keep private. And that sets up a political dynamic, which is what are they hiding? Right. What, you know, it, it serves Trump's purposes in the short run to have this fight because just the Justice Department can't say, yes, let's open this thing up. Correct. Yeah. Any secret plays to him in the paranoia politics of this. Right. Exactly. Trump is also, I would just say, and you alluded to this, David, but Trump is playing in these tiny time increments. He's not playing a long legal strategy here right now. He's which, and this is a legal problem. It's not, not this, yeah. there is a political aspect to it because that's just the reality of it. But he is playing these sort of short games right now. That said, on the short game front, and no, the DOJ, David, can't, you know, in, in their view, can't advocate releasing the affidavit. You know, as a news organization, we obviously have a Right, interest in right, of course. No, no, I, I understand that. But they believe they can't for a variety of reasons. But it does make clear what they said in response to that motion. This is not just as we had been getting indications. Oh, this is just about getting the documents back. That was clearly part of it. But that does not seem to be the whole thing. There's also on the foreign intelligence side, CIA and that world are always very concerned with sources and methods. And, you know, if this is a bunch of stuff, including some foreign intelligence, the, the Macron stuff, whatever, when you start looking into details, you start revealing how you got it. Right. And that is a huge, huge issue in that world. That was the big flare up when he was in the Oval in 17 with the Russians that right. he was bragging about, hey, we got a secret ray gun that right. can read Somebody minds. actually told them where those documents that they knew what they were looking for and they knew they were there yeah. and someone told them that that probably was reflecting the affidavit but my i want to stick to the politics of this this seems to be the raft that everybody is climbing on now uh because a lot of things were tried out he declassified them uh this was planted and so on none of them have really they have maybe worked with some of the base they haven't gotten broad acceptability so now this this cry for uh, for these affidavits. The other thing, you guys, that's happened in the last 24 hours is amid his effort to discredit the FBI and the Justice Department in very incendiary ways, before and after, Trump took a small interlude to do an interview in which he said, we have to lower the temperature and we don't want to jeopardize any federal agents. This tells me that he and the Republican Party are nervous about this kind of virulent anti-FBI law enforcement rhetoric and what might happen. I don't know about that. I think you might, I think you might be reading a little more uh, alarm about the broader consequences there or the secondary effects. I, I read it, David, as Trump is, you know, there are two options. One is that Trump is trying to threaten Garland, which a lot of people have pointed to. The other, which I think is actually very consistent with how he has handled investigations over a long period of time, is I think he sees this as the beginning of a negotiation. Yeah, that's a good point. And so I think that they realize that things have gotten very intense. I think you're probably right, as I'm thinking about it, as we're talking, that there is some level of concern that they will get blowback. You know, there was a situation where a Breitbart reporter who got hold of the warrant before it was unsealed, simultaneous with the Wall Street Journal, the Breitbart reporter posted the full thing and didn't redact it and so the agent's names were on that right. and, and mm -hmm. there was a lot and there was a lot of anger and concern around that it fomented attacks on them on on social media and it also prompted concern among justice department officials so i do think there is some of that but i think for trump this is some kind of an opening bid 
Yeah. Also, Trump is never a strategist. He's a tactician. So right. he's fighting the daily news cycle, how to get me into this, how to backfire it, how to give Fox a line to follow. Well, the legal system works like a boa constrictor, you know, slow but powerful. And so it's kind of a mismatch because, you know, that they will keep grinding ahead. And the truth is, we there's so much we don't know. But the 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 commerce of punditry and the way the cable news cycle works is, you know, the incentives are to jump to a daily conclusion. I remember two days in, this is going to reelect Trump. He's now the nominee. It's over. DeSantis is leaving the country. And, you know, then the pendulum will swing till Trump's over. He's resigning tomorrow from life. You know, we just don't know yet, but we know it's powerful and it's going to be with us for a while now. And it'll be interesting from my point of view to see how Trump, who's kind of a ferret, fights a, a, a huge uh, uh, boa constrictor because Trump's got to find a longer term strategy to deal with this. It's going to be in his life, this Georgia, all that stuff for a while. Trump's got to find other things that he has to find, Mike, to your point, is he needs a team of lawyers. Yeah, that aren't crazy. Well, I mean, or he'll listen. That's to your it. word, but he's but he needs people who actually can fight this fight, which is going to be, to your point, a long fight. This is not, you know, a traffic. Yeah. This is going to be going on for a while. Yeah, and he's fighting on a whole bunch of fronts at at once too. This is just one thing that he has to uh, worry about. But you know, you said something, Mike, that I think is really important to the politics of this, which is you know, Trump. When things like this happen, his first instinct is to feed the beast of paranoia and rage. And so like even hours after he released that statement or did that interview where he said there, that he thought there ought to be, you know, that we had to lower the temperature, he then has this intemperate outburst on his on his social media platform about the FBI stealing his passports. So he throws another log on the fire that he says has to be Subdued. And this is, you know, I'm always like, there are certain things that you think back to. Maggie, you, you probably remember this that Leslie Stahl's mm-hmm. saying about her conversation with Trump before the administration even began after the election 2016. Mm-hmm. She asked him why he always attacks the media. And he said, because I don't want them to believe you when they you say bad stuff about me. And so he villainizes the media as a political player. And he he's really doing that with the FBI and the DOJ and has since the Russia investigation. And there's an audience for that among the base. Yes, there is. I, I want to just back up for one second and then I want to just get to what you what you just said. But it is true that he villainizes and demonizes and it's true that he throws another log on the fire. And it's also true that he is much more calculating than people realize. But it's also true that a lot of times these things are just reactions. Yeah, he's ruled by his emotions. That log that got thrown on the fire about the passports, I don't think that was let me sit and wait for some material and see what I can do, especially because it, the facts that he that he put out were incorrect. And like were his his own spokesman tweeted out an email between Trump's lawyers and the Justice Department that had the right facts in them. So I, I don't know. I think that so much of this is just literally Trump being Trump it in motion. Right. And so but, but to your point, there is an audience for it. There's a big audience for it. And I think the concern that people watching this all right now have is what parallels are there to people who were fed a lot of misinformation between November 3rd, 2020 and January 6th, 2021. And we saw how his fans reacted on January 6th and and the violence that ensued. And we know that there is an an escalated threat level against the FBI. I, I spoke with somebody who's privy to some of the the survey of threats against the FBI. And this person said that it's it's just skyrocketed and it's yeah. you know, it's way worse than what they were seeing after the election. 
Well, he's put them in the center of it now. They, in, in, to his narrative, they're now part of politics, which I think is a little dangerous. But, Mike, that gets back to something actually that I started to say before when we were talking about sort of the politics of this and David was talking about that. So, yes, it is true that Garland called his bluff about the warrant, but there is a, a, an argument to be made, and I think it's a persuasive one, that the Justice Department did not fully understand what they were walking into, quite literally, by letting this vacuum exist for three days that Trump just filled. There was, a, there was an FBI search. And the world learned of it. There was there was actually an exclusive by a, a Florida reporter uh, named Peter Short. I think I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. He broke it a few minutes before Trump then announced it to the world. But over the course of the next three days, Trump just filled it with his narrative. So you think they should have acted earlier? In my just sort of reporter hat, I think that, um, not sort of, I'm <laughs> reporter hat, I think that there would have been a lot of utility to the public and to everything that has happened since had the Justice Department spoken that day now i understand yeah. that it was against their policy right yeah that's the thing they exist in the legal cycle not the modern media cycle but you're right confusion is trump's great friend in these things because different Gar information thrives on it yeah and garland also let's understand one of the reasons he's there is that there was a reaction to the uh, politicization of the justice department and they picked a guy who was a by the book we're going to do it exactly the way we're supposed to. We're not going to deviate. And I said the night it happened that my sense was that they wanted to fight this out within the four walls of a courthouse. But it's impossible when you're when you're dealing with Donald Trump because he'll never fight it within the four walls well, of the right. courthouse. And, and, and that's my point is that and I would just I actually would just like to add that I think part of why Garland was picked, if, if we are being honest, is is there was also an, an ongoing investigation into the incoming president's son. And so there was a desire to make clear that there was somebody who they could say was was just going to go by the book. Um, right. I think Garland is which he which he may, by the way. I mean, I think he will. Right. Which, right. I mean, I, right. I'm not saying I'm yeah, not saying too. otherwise. I'm saying that that's just that was the milieu in which we were dealing with. It wasn't just a reaction. Of course. Of course. Yes. Of course. And so, right. But but to David's point, Trump is just an entirely different entity, and 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 you know the, the way that he treats every system there is not a single system and i've been saying this since 2016 in our country that is equipped to process an actor like trump and and what we saw in the last week was another reminder of that because you had a justice department that went with there were two things that really stood out to me one is my understanding is the fbi really did believe it was efforting um you know a low-key search now there were 30 or so agents that that size is partly i think because there was a, a filter team to make sure that they were not um taking things that they shouldn't have and if they were if they were taking questionable things and those get put aside and you have to treat them carefully with concerns of, of you know attorney-client privilege and so forth and privacy but also they weren't wearing the big thing is they weren't wearing the windbreakers you know there was no sort of aerial footage of you know, guys and big FBI emblazoned windbreakers swarming the property. And I think they felt like that was some kind of a, a show of faith or a show of good faith 
And that's, I think, a misreading of oh, totally. what Trump was going to do with it. You know, I want to meet the FBI comms wizard who said, all right, we're going to go in a president's house right. on a search, but don't wear the jackets. That'll make the big difference. I mean, when they crossed that threshold, it's a huge threshold and they crossed it. But I want to get to the politics again, because that's what we do. We're political hacks. I agree with the premise that Trump will win the PR war of spinning a grievance narrative to his strongest supporters. And I think that'll go deep and that could be violence. But I think there's also a pretty strong argument that he's going to narrow his appeal. There's already Trump fatigue mm -hmm. in the Republican Party. Now, in primaries, people are very happy to punish anti-Trump Republicans who voted for impeachment. We may see that likely to today in Wyoming with, with right. Cheney. Right. But yeah. every poll says among favorable Trump people, you know, maybe it's time for somebody else. And I think this could supercharge that fatigue. So his, in his deepest base, it'll go red hot over this, the conspiracy to take down America's last great patriot, and he'll feed that. But in the wider politics, is he stronger as a potential nominee now or weaker? You travel in different circles, Mike, but I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I'm still haunted by the fact that 70% of Republicans believe that the last election was not legitimate. And so there is an audience that's broader than you think or than you say for conspiracy theories. Uh, and so I, I don't know how this is going to affect them within the Republican Party. I mean, and it obviously part of it has to do with how this this legal process proceeds. But I, I also think he's a lot of these wackadoodles he's nominating are going to get their butts kicked in the fall right. and that that will have among the realists in the Republican Party that has to be weighed too but I, I really don't know what the outcome is but Maggie you probably do go ahead <laughs> I do not I, I do think that in the short term and all of this that we're talking about in terms of political and PR impact is short term I do think in the short term this helps him I don't know what it means you know on uh, I can't think of what day election date is this year but November blank when votes are cast the next morning if Republicans wake up with a majority, which the polling currently indicates they will, um, do they look up and say, what I want to keep fighting is Donald Trump's investigations, which are, right, right. you know, innumerable. Now, that they're going to be under enormous pressure to do a bunch of their own. And I think that in the House. Um, well, they've already announced they will. Exactly. And I think that and I think that they will gladly do that. But at a certain point, I think to David's point, I don't I don't or actually, actually I guess Mike's point, I don't know that that's what voters in a general election want to be voting. I, you know, I think that it's going to be, you know, the, 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 the dark energy of hate versus the, the enervating factor of fatigue. And I don't know which one it is. So much of politics right now is defined by being anti. And so if yeah. you anti these investigators, anti people coming at Donald Trump, quote unquote, um, that has a galvanizing effect. I, I just, I guess what I think is, look, I do think there was for Donald Trump, I mean, I hear you, Mike, on, you know, Ron DeSantis is falling into the ocean and so forth. But the fact that he had to issue... Well, no, no, just to correct, I actually think the opposite, but oh, the conventional wisdom for three days was he right. went from president-elect right. to right. hopelessly right. defeated, you right. know, all... Right. Uh, just to interject for one sec, Maggie, if you sure. indulge me, it's going to be a fatigue question. Can Trump really run on backward process? Right. 
essentially. Well, I mean, I, I know a lot of Trump Republicans who are kind of Trump. Let's put it this way. They're establishment Republicans who went along with Trump for survival, and they thought, hey, he wins. And I was talking to one a few months ago and again recently who, who I think put it pretty well, which was, you know, we're not getting good Trump anymore. Right. He's not talking about the border. He's not talking about inflation. He's, he's talking about this crazy yep. process stuff. Yep. And, you know, that's not good. Okay, then let's take a break right here, and we'll be right back. Well, Axe, you know you and I are both absolute monsters to work for. We grind through yes-men like crazy. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're impossible. So we're always trying to hire people dumb enough to work for us. Business success stories start with good people. So how do you solve this hiring problem? How do you get good people in this complicated economy? Well, if you're hoping to make those great hires, you need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place, Murphy, which would be great. Instead yeah. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Find great talent faster through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. Yeah, with Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed Data US. So at a time when it's really hard to hire, Mike, Indeed is the tool you need. Yeah, I love the assessment feature they have. It's the best way for star applicants to shine with over 135 assessment tests from cooking to coding. So you can see if the prospect you're looking at has the right skills for exactly the job you've defined. It takes the stress out of the interview process because your candidates can prove themselves before the interview and you can dive deep into talking about what's important to you to fill that job. And this is important because not everybody interviews well, but with the assessment test, you can see all the skills before the interview so you get a much better picture which helps you get that fantastic match and it predicts or at least gives you a window into predicting how candidates will actually be on the job on average applicants who scored highly proficient or higher on the reliability assessment were nearly get this eight times more likely to consistently wow. attend work according to us indeed data so join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash hacks. The offer is good for a limited time, so claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash hacks. 75 bucks? Oh my God, yes. that's worth saying it again. Indeed.com slash hacks. But remember, terms and conditions do apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Indeed. I wonder if there's another element of this when you talk about fatigue, whether people people have a short attention span and they actually do have day-to-day -day concerns that have nothing to do with this. And do they get tired of the story? Is yeah, it like exactly. everything else with Trump? Do they get tired of? But no, my, my point is they don't hold that against Trump. They're like moving on, you know, to. to yeah, they don't have things. to hate Trump to give him a gold watch and find somebody new with Trumpism themes. And I think that's the likely. David's bet. saying the opposite. David's saying that they, right, they, right. they may not factor into their thinking at all. And I think that's a real question. That certainly was what was happening with the January 6th revelations was that, you know, they were getting more and more dramatic. And. Um, you know, Liz Cheney in those hearings had managed to do something that I think um, uh, we should note that, uh, you know, she's she's about to, um, if the polls are 
clear she's she's not going to be a congressman, a uh, congressperson uh, come next year. Um, but she had done what no Democrat had been able to do, which was really kind of galvanize and focus this set of facts very clearly um, about Trump without his, you know, obfuscation and the kind of behavior that we're talking about that he's shown in response to this search by the FBI. But while many in my world, certainly, and I think both of your worlds were interested in that, people I, were ta- I was talking to who don't follow politics as closely as we do, don't follow government as closely as we do, were sort of getting lost in the morass and, and didn't find it particularly interesting anymore. And I do think there is a chance that this becomes just another investigation. I want to note one thing we haven't mentioned, and this is an X factor, not in what the search of Mar-a-Lago means, but just in the milieu of Trump investigations generally. The former CFO of his company is about yeah, to enter. Pleading guilty. He's pleading guilty in, in a, and I can't remember the specific charges against him, but he was charged and the company was charged in some kind of misconduct and yeah, it's a tax valuation thing i think in correct. transaction well, well no, business think, practice let's put it this way cook books you know i was gonna say it was i was gonna say it was about double books and so he it's not a cooperation plea but he is going to be expected to testify at trial in the trump organization case and i'm hard pressed to see how any of that is great for trump yeah and georgia well, yeah. And in Georgia, where Rudy Giuliani has gotten a target letter. So, you know, now remember, Giuliani was under intense investigation in the Southern District of New York, and that case doesn't seem to be going anywhere. So I think let's see what happens. But but I just think that the I, I will say that folks in Trump's orbit for the first time, you know, generally speaking, all I ever heard was impeachment doesn't matter. This doesn't matter. Mueller doesn't matter. And he did lose 2020, but it was pretty. Yeah. It was but it was pretty narrow. If you look at the actual states that mattered. For the first time, people around him are conceding. They think that this aggregate weight will become albatross-like in a general election. And, and yeah, they- I mean, I just want to point out for the record, he has Jimmy Carter's electoral record. Now you can say it was closer, but it's about winning and losing. And he's yep. he's and and if you look at the damage to Republicans in eighteen when he was president, and you know the collateral damage to the party, it's been immense. So you know we're see he's got the Rasputin thing going, where people think he can't be killed until he dies politically. I think that he is very very damaged relative to to a general election. The question, Mike, is how is he relative to his own party? And right now he's on a run. Yeah. Uh, and he's once, you know, I, I think he's the fact that all of these f- people fell in line uh, and repeated, you know, the talking points relative to this FBI investigation uh, tells you uh, something about that, along with the fact that he's nominating, you know, Trump. Trump wackadoodle candidates uh, around the country. I agree, but I wonder how much of that is Trumpism versus Trump personally. I mean, if you voted to impeach him, you're cooked. Only Dan Newhouse has survived. Everybody else has either resigned right. or dead in the primary. Mm-hmm. Even really formidable uh, ones that that had a lot to fight with, like Herrera Butler and, and Meyer in Michigan. So, but you wonder how much of it because you, then you've got the Kemp's. And and some of the other races where Trump has had a clear point of view and the primary voters didn't go with them. So, but your larger point, I think, is true, David, that, boy, it didn't, it, you know, McConnell kind of, as usual, at a higher level right. of strategic intelligence, had laryngitis. Right. But Kevin McCarthy couldn't wait to get out before he knew a damn thing about it. And now you're seeing some in the House. And man, it's the Justice Department. Mm. 
right back off a little because Washington changes as the facts change, you know, on a daily basis or the perceived facts. We're going to lose Maggie. And, in the you know, unlike Donald Trump, we are completely transparent here. Maggie has to go uh, <laughs> off to a meeting. So before she goes, I want to ask uh, about the relationship with McCarthy. You know, it now we're going to talk about this after you go. Not we're not going to say anything behind your back, but we're going to. Talk well, no, I know. You know what? I'll listen. I'll listen to it on the public podcast afterwards. And I'll <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you'll oh, know. Damn, that ruins our whole plan, David. I mean, I do think there's a there's some fair evidence that Democrats are going to do better in the fall than was initially thought. A lot because Trump has mucked the thing up and saddled them with a bunch of really bad candidates. I mean, that's one of the reasons. Um, and so that means that the House majority, I, I think people still agree Republicans will probably take the House, but that the majority is likely. Dave, Dave Wasserman, for example, at Cook has revised his estimate downward mm -hmm. of what the Republicans mm -hmm. are going to do. If it's a small majority and the House Freedom Caucus has sort of effective veto power, over the choice of the speaker. I mean, it gives Trump leverage over McCarthy. What What is their relationship? I mean, does he feel McCarthy is his stalwart ally or would he move to try and dump him? Oh, he'd love to torture him. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think that you're, I think you're both right. I mean, I think he thinks that he can, he can twist and, and bend him to his will as much as he wants. And he enjoys watching and seeing just exactly what McCarthy will do. Um, in order to cling to power. And we have seen a lot of that. Our, our friends, Jonathan Martin and Alex Burns, had a, an incredible piece of audio of um, McCarthy yeah. uh, saying something he had denied saying um, in a statement to them uh, where he had talked about, um, you know, considering asking Trump to um, step down as president after January 6th. Uh, and since then, McCarthy has done everything he can to try to show Trump that, you know, He's still with him 100%. Um, and what, well, well, you know, you're, what does Trump think about that? I mean, what is, how does Trump interpret? Does he say, oh, well, now I got this guy where I want him? Or does he say, I can't trust him and I'll cut his, his you know, what off if... Uh, he thinks that about everybody, though, David. He doesn't trust anybody. So, I mean, but in this particular case, um, he had been saying about McCarthy for a while that, you know, he's, he's not tough enough. He's not tough enough. He's not going to, he's not going to investigate tough enough. And so I think that if we see Trump cut him loose, it will be some excuse like that. By the way, you know, the Freedom Caucus just today is grousing, uh, about, they've set, they've drawn a line saying we don't want to cut any deals in the lame duck session, menacing McCarthy and, I, I guess to some degree McConnell, but M McCarthy basically. So, you know, they're feeling their oats mm -hmm. and they think they've got Trump behind them. Mm -hmm. You know, M McCarthy is more precarious than I think people think. The, the The House conference on the Republican side has huge expectations of a wipeout victory. And, you know, I, I don't trust this summer Democratic bump that much. I, I want to kind of wait and see. But if they don't do well as their sky-high expectations, Kevin will wear that. He has ideological opponents. Trump will torture him. So I think we could be in for some drama, particularly if the numbers are, as, as David was yep. uh, discussing, a little tighter. Can I add one point? Yeah, yeah, one yeah. point, And then we'll we'll promo this uh, Yeah, I want to sell because some Because she is going to give us the three unknown facts that we're going to get. But the, I'll tell you who's auditioning for the role if they if McCarthy is purged uh and that's uh Elise Stefanik mm. uh, who was the most vociferous defender of Trump 
after this uh, FBI search of Mar-a-Lago, the one-time moderate George Romney staffer. W. Bush staff. Don't, don't yeah, get yeah. me started. It's like it, it is. It's incredible. Really, we should have had a thunderclap when you mentioned her name because it's definitely <laughs> gone to the dark side. Well, you've got that. You've got Jim Jordan, who won't win. You, you, Pat McHenry was a real contender, but he's not going to do it now. He's looking at the uh, the Financial Services Committee. Scalise, there are a bunch of them yeah, looking yeah. We'll, around. We'll do more about that. We'll do more about that. But Maggie, the book. The book. Tell us about the book. The book is Confidence Man, The Making of Donald Trump and the Breaking of America. And it comes out on October 4th. Are we in it? That's all we really care about. <laughs> And if not, why not? I had to yeah. think about that for a second. Um, you know, There's still you know, time. There's still time. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> Dashing and handsome. They they add it all ahead of time. Put us in the acknowledgments. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Among the um, among the as my as the as my old uh, my old hacks and flags. Uh, I, among the the pieces of uh, reporting uh, that I have in there that I developed during research for the book, and I talked about this recently, was um, uh, in the in the vein of how he handles documents. He and this is now public. Um, he would uh, periodically throw, rip up documents and throw them in the toilet and they would end up clogging <laughs> pipes in the White House. He did this twice on foreign trips. Um, it ends up sounding funny, but it's actually pretty serious because, you know, if it, he was throwing in a fireplace, it would be the same thing. He denied that he was doing that. Uh, a Trump White House source provided me with photos of yeah, saw those. Those were amazing. Um, in two separate toilets, one overseas, one in the White House. So some poor KGB plumber now has the worst job in America on a Trump foreign trip. <laughs> but this, but this is the right, but how he behaves on documents, how he behaves on his business, how he behaves on handling sensitive information, personal information about other people and so forth. These are running themes of the book because I look at the world that he came from and the world that made him and who he is. And what that meant for his presidency, and I hope people will buy it. Do you go back to the Atlantic City stuff, which I actually wrote a movie about, and all? I don't, oh yeah, I it's wanna, I don't want to ruin any surprises, but just okay, buy it. Gotcha. And have all your all your questions answered. All right, excellent. Well, I will pre-order it on the leading website. Maggie, thank you so much. Go scoop somebody. <laughs> I, I, I remember I'll tell a ninety-seven. No, I'll tell an eighteen-second Maggie story on the way out. Way back when, when Axe was up in the Bronx working for uh, Fernando, we, you, Greg Birnbaum, Bob Hart, and I, all great reporters for the Daily News. Oh, and I the, know where this is New going. Post, we go to that dinner where we bump into Bloomberg the night or two nights before the election. He thinks he's going to lose. Uh, he actually would win. We're settling up all our, uh, we're clarifying our election bets. We're having a great time. Bloomberg leaves. And in a nanosecond, like you're in the Serengeti and somebody throws a carcass in, you guys did a split formation uh, to get to the, you know, did he tip? Billionaire, stiff, single mom waitress on election <laughs> eve and in the great tabloid prediction. We were three New York Post reporters. Sorry. Oh, it was deadly. It was so funny. And of course he tipped big. He saw you coming. He did. Yeah. <laughs> he was one Would step ahead of you. Wood, though. And, yes, and, the, uh, and the server was grateful that you were there. Uh, so. Of course. Cheapskate. Yes. Ever vigilant. Yeah. Yeah. Maggie, thank you. Thanks, it's guys. Great, for great, always great, always to great to have to be you here. with you. We'll see you soon. Take care. Bye, guys. That was the great Maggie Haberman, our dear friend, off to give a politician a bit of heartburn with a scoop. It gives us a little time to get into some real hackery. Uh, a couple of things on the campaign trail going on, David. Uh, yeah, well, you mentioned it earlier. Liz Cheney's primary is this afternoon, Wyoming. I think uh, there are two factoids here that tell you everything you need to know. One is that she hasn't been able to campaign at public, publicly announced events for fear for her safety in 
the state of Wyoming. The second is you look at national polling, and I think you know I haven't. I haven't looked at the favorables in Wyoming, but they have her down 29 points there. National polls, she has a favorable rating in the 50s among Democrats and in the teens among Republicans, which goes yep. to the point, Mike, that we talked about earlier about Trump's grip on the party right now. Yeah. So just quickly on Cheney, uh, you know, the the death threats are a tragedy in American politics that that would suppress a campaign. Really I also is. think they've yes. made a bit of a strategic choice that they see the data. They're not encouraged. Uh, and she's looking at broader horizons to kind of lead the anti-Trump army. And I'm I'm so proud of her. You don't see many people throw away a, a political career, at least in the short term, to do the right thing for the country. I will Without say- question. I think it's going to be a little closer. I don't think she's going to win looking at the polling, but I think there's a little more of a secret Cheney vote. And more importantly, this is kind of a reversal of the famous Eric Canner race in Virginia, the former whip who lost, uh, because there's no party registration. So a lot of board Democrats yes. who didn't have a contest crossed over to whack him. In this case, I think a bunch of proud Democrats may be Republican for a day. I don't think it'll be enough to win, but this 25-point blowout people are talking about, I'd lay my bet against that. I think it will be a bit tighter, and kudos to her. It can't be enough to reverse the polls because there aren't enough Democrats in right. Wyoming. It's, Wyoming. it's four to one yeah. Republican advantage and a huge, huge yeah. Trump state. But let me just second what you said. Uh, I mean, you know, I say this in part to uh, preserve her viability as a Republican, but I, you know, I disagree with Liz Cheney on almost everything. God, but, I knew I liked her. But uh, I say the same about you, Murphy. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, to preserve your options as well. We're bringing you around. We're slowly but surely. But on the, on the issue of democracy and what democracy entails, and then uh, I do think this is a moment of trial for democracy, and she is valiantly on the right side of that and, uh, you know, will be remembered long after all of these Vichy French Republicans are gone. Uh, she will be remembered for her valor in standing up for democracy in its moment of trial. And that's probably more, not probably, but that should be, I hope, uh, a great consolation to her as the results roll in tonight and she does and they're obviously results she expects. The second thing that's happening is this primary in Alaska, which is really interesting. One other person's on the ballot who defied Trump, Lisa Murkowski, the senator uh, from Alaska. But they have a different system, Mike, and that system may uh, may preserve Murkowski uh, as uh, as Cheney goes down and others have gone down. Yeah, this is a real, it's a bit of a double tongue twister here because the ranked choice system where the top four are ranked in preference incentivizes people to have a wider appeal, which Murkowski does. Although this election Tuesday is a primary to elect the top four, so the ranked choice thing hits in the general. But simultaneously, there's a double election for the House, Alaska having one seat, the great Don Young passed away, an institution, and the whole world ran in an earlier primary to serve out the rest of his term. There's a ranked choice finishing election for just 
those few months that's happening today, including Sarah Palin, where ranked choice, I think, will hurt her. But there's also a regular primary today for a ranked choice general election to serve out next year's term with many of the same people. So uh, Alaska now wins the award for the most complicated possible primary day in the history of civilization. I prefer the old days when they settle it with Bowie knives at two feet, but uh, we're, we're going to have a lot of results tomorrow to call through there. I think the headline will be Murkowski uh, looking strong heading to general election uh, despite the Trump challenger. Yeah, which is which is good news for democracy. So we, we all right. Well, I think it's time, Mike. It's listener mailbag. If you have a hacks on tap mailbag question, send it to our crack staff, and they show a bunch of them to us, just not the filthy ones. We've asked them to reverse that policy, but so far, no luck. Email hacksontap at gmail.com, hacksontap at gmail.com. And don't forget, while you're online, subscribe to the marvelous, insightful, and amusing Hacks on Tap newsletter. It's free twice a week by email from Gibbs and I, full of stuff you don't hear on the podcast. It's a lot of fun. Just go to hacksontap.bulletin.com. That is hacksontap.bulletin.com bulletin.com question number one from the brilliantly named michael for david axelrod last week a group of historians met with president biden to discuss their great concern for democracy from what i can gather they are equating this moment to the periods of the civil war in the days before world war ii do you agree do you believe that trump and his movement could actually take down democracy starting with the u.s in this century look i'm deeply concerned i don't know Uh, whether they can or can't, but I think that uh, the seeds of that are being planted because democracy, and I've said this before here, relies on rules and laws and norms and institutions that we all broadly accept. Uh, Donald Trump does not accept them. He doesn't believe in them. He thinks they are impediments uh, to him getting what he wants. And he believes that people who do abide by them are suckers. And he has this worldview, uh, the world as the Hunger Games, uh, where, uh, you know, nothing's, you know, you you do whatever you have to. uh, And if that to get what you want. Uh, that's why he said, for example, that it was genius when uh, when Vladimir Putin rolled into Ukraine, that, well, if you can steal a country, why not? So yes, I think to the degree that he is leading a party and that party is responding to him and he ha- he is considered a viable candidate for president of the United States uh, and there's a movement that would support him, that is concerning. And let me just add a footnote uh, to this, Mike. The fact that Viktor Orban the uh, autocratic, ethnocentric president of Hungary was the honored speaker at the CPAC convention this year, tells you that, yes, this is a global issue, not just an American issue. Trump uh, uh, has seized on it. He is a symbol of it. But we see this happening around the world. So I am concerned about democracy. CPAC has been totally corrupt for years, and this is really kind of a Dracula spike in what's left of its moral heart. I agree about that. I do not believe that Donald Trump can take down democracy in America. It's deeply rooted, but I'll tell you what, he'd like to, and that makes him a cancer and a threat. Yeah. Well, I've got a question for you from Jake, who says, Murphy, what, that's how I knew it was for you. What would a compelling contemporary version of genuine conservative look like in action We know that my generation, first wave millennial, and the next wave are more socially progressive but less interested in a party ID, so there is definitely a market for it. If you were to pitch it, what would it be? Go. 
Well, thank you, Jake. It would be a modern conservative, upbeat and positive about the promise of America, opportunity for everybody, regardless of, you know, their DNA code or their sexual orientation, which is linked to their DNA code. It would be liberal market economics. It would be based on meritocracy. It would focus on fixing the institutions that help anybody succeed in America, no matter where they were born. It would not be a moral police state, but it would be moderate on social issues knowing that there is a middle ground. And I think most of all, it would understand that technology has the power to not only change our economy, but even democratize opportunity in our country even more, it would embrace that. It would not be about who we're against, but how we all succeed based on merit, hard work, and the principles that built this country. Uh, not an enemies list conservatism, but an uplifting conservatism. And it's coming back because the future will be unforgiving in electoral politics to backwards-looking grievance. It's just going to be a bumpy road to get there. So, Jake, come on aboard. I literally have tears rolling down my cheeks right now. <laughs> we should have put some music behind that, Murphy. Yeah, we're, we're come back with a with a proper bet. All right, we got time for two quick hacky ones here. Number four from Yosifi for David. Does Nancy Pelosi have a public responsibility to announce her retirement plans if they will occur at the start of her next term in order to enable the public to have the broadest choice of candidates to succeed her in her congressional district, as opposed to her orchestrating a hand-picked successor to take over? So, David, what do you think? Are we going to do it Chicago style? Are we going to open this up with time to compete? I don't think that, um, first of all, I think that the die is cast. She's, she's been nominated. Uh, and, uh, I, I, you know, and I think she's going to be elected in the fall and yeah, you know, I kind of do expect her to step down and I, I give her the leeway to do that. There will be, there will be a primary in that district. There will be an election in that district. If she does step down, she can't designate who her successor would be. I know there's been a lot of, uh, discussion about that, but, uh, I think on the larger point, uh, you know, Pelosi is going to leave on her own terms. Uh, she is a, a person in her 80s, as are the other leaders of the House. And, uh, you know, I think that it would be interesting to see if the others follow her example and allow a generational change in leadership of the House. I think that would be a positive development. And let me say, finally, she will be missed. Okay. I mean, I know she is a polarizing figure in our politics, but she is a brilliant legislative leader. I had a chance to work with her and see her work her magic uh, as a speaker of the House. She's a legislator. She understands how to get things done and how to get to yes, and uh, she is going to be missed whenever she goes. I just want her to stay out of China, Taiwanese politics right now. But uh, she has been a remarkably effective Democratic legislator and leader in that House. And then now Kelly asks uh, Murphy, looking at some of the current GOP primary winners, do you think Mitch McConnell would rather have to manage as minority leader again or manage the super MAGA Herschel Walker, Blake Masters, Dr. Oz types? Oh, well, look, Mitch would take a box of hammers in a seat to hold the majority. But of we're those test, three, we're testing that proposition right now. <laughs> yeah, some would say it's under under a laboratory <laughs> test. Now, I think he'd prefer Blake Masters because he's uh, uh, transitional and smart. Uh, Herschel's a bit crazy, so unpredictable, which means danger. And Dr. Oz is always looking to grab the spotlight, which is not something majority leaders love in their caucus. So he'll take all three of them uh, happily. But I think 
Masters would be the one he'd find easiest to deal with. Yeah, but he's really, he's got a bevy of wacky right wing comments that I think. Oh, it's not easy. Well known believe there. me. Yeah, yeah. I remember we had a we had a weak member who was a little wacky back in the Dole days, and we'd all joke because every one of us would dread the call, and I got it one year. Hold for leader Dole. You lose. You've got fill in the name. Don't screw up using a tougher <laughs> word, and you'd go out and get that particular person reelected. Dole wanted the vote. Yes, I agree with you. I think McConnell is about getting a majority however he needs to uh, get it, and we should point out, I think eight days or something into this term, he will be the longest-serving leader party leader in the history of the U.S. Congress, I think. I think supplanting Mike Mansfield. Wow. Uh, I think so, I'll bet he has some yeah. pride over that. And I, I would say, in fairness, that if we were to summon up the ghost of the last 10 Democratic and Republican leaders, they'd all say, hey, you know, having a few nitwits around is part of the job. And they'd all take just about anybody they can to have a majority. Yes. All right. Murphy, great to be with you as Thank always. Thank you. I see, I see you. Yes. You're, you're, you're in uh, the... Uh, bucolic New Hampshire climbs. Yeah, we both turned into farmers, Axe. I'm up here at Lake Winnipesaukee in the uh, International Freedom Secret Republican headquarters where I plan to announce my campaign for the Republican nomination next year under the slogan, Eliminate the Middleman. Stay tuned for that. And you're down on the farm in Michigan, right? I am indeed. I am indeed. No, we're farmers. You're growing hemp. I'm growing tomatoes. So uh, we're we're both farmers. Commerce, my friend. We'll see you next week. All right, pal. Great to talk to you. Thanks for listening, everyone.